This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. Information is current at the time of recording. If you have any health concerns, speak to your doctor. HTF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. HCF acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay respects to their elders past and present. Welcome to the first episode of Menopause Matters, brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. I'm your host, Alison Bray-Datto. When it comes to women's health, most of us know about puberty, and we're quite well-versed in reproduction and pregnancy. But today, we're going to talk about the next stage, menopause. I was utterly confounded by what happened to me during menopause. And what I really wanted to do was help other women understand what was happening. So I wrote a book. It's called Queen Menopause. Now, I had other names for this book, like losing your eyebrows and gaining a beard, death to tampons, or even hell hath no fury like a woman needing chocolate. Though what I really wanted to do was to empower women and educate everyone about menopause. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone, from your partner to your boss to the kids and even the postman. Menopause is an unavoidable experience all women will go through. So let's find a way we can go through it with knowledge, power and positivity. It's not a topic that many of us talk about or even know much about. And sometimes the information can feel really confusing. But in this series, we're going to unpack all of the mysteries, myths, and so much more. To start things off, we're looking at perimenopause, the very beginning of it all. And to help navigate us through this, I'm joined by Dr. Fatima Khan, a highly skilled perimenopause specialist with a holistic approach to women's physical, emotional, and mental well-being. Fatima, thank you so much for joining me. I'm just going to jump right in here and ask the big question. Perimenopause. It is a word that might be unfamiliar to some. Can you explain the difference between perimenopause and menopause? I think that's a really great question to start with. So menopause is very easy to identify and it's basically marked by 12 months of no period. You can spot it yourself. And along with that, you'll have a series of symptoms such as hot flushes, night sweats, mental health. Perimenopause is the change before the change, as they call it. And it's the stage before menopause. It's the beginning of when your hormones start to fluctuate. And they are subtle symptoms to begin with, and they become more pronounced as you approach menopause. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I know for me, I had heard of menopause. And then I remember a girlfriend mentioning perimenopause. And I thought, what on earth are you talking about? Who knew that there was years of a lead up into menopause? So I'm so glad that we can talk about that and unpack it all. So what age generally are we looking at for perimenopause? Perimenopause can start as early as your late 30s and early 40s. And menopause, the average age is 51.5. So you can see it's almost a decade before that the symptoms can start to appear. And 
The reason why perimenopause has come more to light now because you've got Generation X who basically are in their 40s. They are women who are professionals. They have much younger children. They are settling much later on in their lives. And so they want a lot more from life than, say, the baby boomers would have had. They would have had kids much younger in their 20s. By the time they got to menopause at 45, 50, the kids would be at university or school. And so the demands on their everyday life would be much reduced. And as a result, the symptoms would be manageable to a certain extent. That doesn't mean that they didn't suffer. I think they were kind of just told to put up with it and go away. The perimenopause now is gained a lot of traction in media over the last few years because you've got a lot of celebrities talking about it because they're entering this stage and like, hang on, no one told me about this. But essentially, it is kind of a transition where the hormones start fluctuating and then completely decline and then stop at menopause. And that fluctuating is why perimenopause can be often the most challenging part of the whole cycle of menopause. Is that right? Like that's what I found myself. Perimenopause is the start of when your hormones fluctuate. We need to identify what the main hormones are that we're talking about. So the ovaries essentially producing estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. And normally to get a menstrual cycle every month, there's a lovely rhythm to it. And the aim is to produce an egg every month. The perimenopause is when the hormones start fluctuating. So one of the first things you'll notice is the change in your menstrual cycle. They can either start skipping, which is pretty straightforward to identify, But you might initially just notice a change in the flow. So it's not uncommon to notice flooding, really heavy menstrual period with clots. Or you might notice reduced cycle length. So your cycle now has gone from 30 days to 21 days, or it might be prolonged to 40 days. The first marker that you can identify with is menstrual cycle changes. The flow, heavy or light the actual duration length, shorter or longer, and whether it's totally skipping. Mm. So that tells me that there's definitely, you're entering perimenopause because perimenopause is a clinical diagnosis. The hormone tests that we use, they fluctuate. So you can go one time and you have these list of symptoms and their blood levels will actually show completely normal levels Mm. because we might have caught you at a time where you've got really good levels of estrogen along with the other hormones. You'll hear from women saying, I know I'm in peri and I've gone to my doctor and they've told me my hormones are normal and they think they're going crazy. And so after the menstrual cycle, you'll start noticing changes in your mental health. And I think the main symptoms of perimenopause, especially the early symptoms, are that of mental health. So what do I mean by that? So they'll start saying, I've been someone who's been very calm, very composed, and now suddenly I'm really anxious. And for no reason, they might notice changes in their mood, especially around just before their period. So premenstrually, they might notice a bit of agitation or irritability, or some women get really feel really low and really tearful. And some women, unfortunately, will have suicidal ideation. Mental health is really important. And then you might notice this for only five days and suddenly you're back to your usual self because the hormone levels have picked up. And that fluctuation from month to month can last anywhere from four to five years. I remember the first time that my husband heard that perimenopause can last for as long as five to eight years. And the look on his face was like, wait, what do you mean it can go this long? I'm like, I'm the one dealing with it, honey. You've got to deal with it too. But I remember just the shock on his face. And it was a shock for me too, actually, to think that 
this period could be as long as eight years. What about women, though, who are on the pill, you know, some form of contraception? How can they tell if they're entering perimenopause? Essentially, you can't because Mm. the pill switches off your ovulatory cycle. And we then are supplementing with the hormones that are in the contraceptive pill. So they tend to be synthetic progestogens and ethanol estradiol and some other things. So you can't, except when I see patients in my clinic, they would be coming with hot flushes and night sweats and and getting some maybe breakthrough bleeding on the pill. And they might notice their mental health changing. And they'll typically say, I've been on this pill for a decade. I've never had any problems. And they'll have some symptoms coming through. And it could be anywhere between 45 to 55. Most women do stop the pill by 50. So the pill is a tricky one. And the pill, to be honest, serves some women really well. But generally speaking, we discourage women to be on the pill over 40, 45 if they're getting side effects such as breakthrough bleeding. And we try and go through as other alternative, what we call long-acting reversible contraceptives, such as the marina coil is a really good one that we advise women in their 40s to do. Contraception is important because a lot of women will say, oh, I'm not having many periods in the perimenopause. They're skipping periods for three months and suddenly they'll ovulate and they can get pregnant. So it's actually quite a good topic in terms of making sure that even if you're skipping periods, we want to make sure that you have some contraception covered. And if it's not the pill, there's other things that you can try with your GP. Something to look out for. Okay, so we're in perimenopause. What are some of the ways that we can manage perimenopause? Is it going to the gynecologist and check up all the things that we need checking up? Is it blood work, bone density, iron? What are some of the things that we should look for straight away? We probably need to be aware of what the symptoms are. So we're probably going to go one step back. And I think we covered menstrual cycle tracking and then changes in those. Then the second step is changes in your mental health. The other changes you might start noticing is your sexual function. So you might notice your libido is a bit low and suddenly that's a change for you. You might notice that you've got some vaginal dryness. There's more burning irritation and itchy down below. You might notice you're getting more recurrent thrush. You might notice you're getting more bladder infections and waking up at night to pee a lot more. So those are some other changes that would be there as well, which aren't your typical what we call vasomotor symptoms, so the hot flushes and night sweats. They probably come a bit later in the perimenopause. The early perimenopause signs can be more systemic body symptoms. So there's estrogen receptors all over your body from head to toe. It's very common to start noticing your skin is really, really dry, really itchy. You can have a sensation of insects crawling on it, which can be quite disturbing for some women. You might notice that you're starting to get palpitations and commonly women will go and see cardiologists and they can't find any cause for it. But that can again be a symptom which if it says no other cause, cardiac cause, that is one of the symptoms that women can get frequently. The other symptoms are cognitive. So what do I mean by that? That's your memory. And that's quite distressing. A lot of women start feeling that they're getting dementia. They go into the room. They can't remember where they went Mm, in. They lose their keys, their phone. Some people have a tendency to do that. And I'm like that probably half the time. I think if it's a change for you and if it's affecting your everyday function, then those are some of the other symptoms you can get. And the list obviously goes on. And there's about 34 symptoms of the perimenopause. Some less discussed symptoms can be things like vertigo, feeling dizzy, numbness, tingling, and also dry mouth, toothache. 
it's very important that we go and see your doctor and get yourself checked out by professionals in those areas to make sure there isn't other pathology going on. And I've seen some women put a lot of things down to perimenopause, stick to the main symptoms, the mental health, menstrual cycle changes, and also changes in your sexual function and your pelvic floor. Those kind of other common symptoms that you should be looking at. Once they've tracked all of these symptoms for two to three months, sometimes there's a clear correlation with your cycle. They'll be like, oh, I'm like this seven days before my period and the seven days, first seven days of my cycle. And the other two weeks, I'm back to my normal self. And that's a true reflection of your hormones throughout the 28-day cycle. The estrogen really goes up the first kind of seven day to day 14, you ovulate and then it drops and then progesterone goes up. So we become quite sensitive when the hormones start declining and fluctuating. What do we do? When you go to your doctor, being equipped yourself with the symptoms is really important. If you're getting troublesome symptoms, it's important to go see your doctor because they'll do simple blood tests like thyroid function, make sure you're not anemic. There's a whole host of other things they might want to do just to make sure there isn't any other pathology going on. If you're getting symptoms such as heavy menstrual flow or pelvic pain and other gynecological issues, then it's important to do a pelvic ultrasound scan. We want to make sure we're not missing anything like fibroids or polyps and there's a host of gynecological conditions. So if you've done that and they all come back normal, which is quite common, they won't find anything on the bloods and the scan is pristine and you have all these symptoms, then there are things that you need to start focusing on in your lifestyle. We need to focus on the biggest factor that we accept in our modern day lives, which is stress. I think chronic stress, there's an epidemic of it, especially if you're someone in your 40s going through perimenopause, you've got multiple sources of stress coming from your home environment, relationships, but also the workplace will have its stresses. And then your body's going through a kind of a stress. So when you're going through perimenopause and these hormones are fluctuating, it's a form of stress in your body because your body doesn't know what's going on either. And that's why you get these multiple symptoms such as anxiety and palpitations. And some women go on to have panic attacks as well. So focusing on stress, it sounds really simple, but it's not just in your head. There's a very significant mind-body connection. When you're stressed, there's a host of chemicals that are released in your body that causes symptoms such as heart racing, blood pressure goes up, insomnia, irritability, mood changes. It has whole effect on your body. And if you are not actively releasing, finding a way to release that stress every day through some form of either yoga, mindfulness, meditation, a magnesium bath, talking to a friend, then you are really going to struggle going forward. That's finding that balance, isn't it? But I'm so glad you mentioned that because we need to be told this information, particularly from our doctors, and hopefully we can find the relationship with a doctor that is really feels good and we're listened to the doctor. And that's why I say to women, if you don't feel you're getting cared for enough, find another doctor because it can be a challenge when you're being dismissed. But just having you say that it is an actual physiological factor that anxiety comes up in perimenopause, because that can often leave us feeling like, what is going on? Am I losing my mind? Normally I can handle all this, but it is actually the changes in our bodies that causes the stress often, the anxiety. Correct. And actually there's been some recent data that's been collected in the US and they found that 
The most common symptoms of perimenopause weren't hot flushes and night sweats. They were anxiety and fatigue. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's validating women's experiences because so far, if someone comes in and says, I'm feeling really tired all the time and I'm really anxious, a regular doctor will just say, oh, you've just got too much on your plate. Here you go, antidepressant, go home. And the woman knows that they're not depressed. They know they don't have chronic anxiety or a mental health issue because it's so fluctuating because they'll feel themselves for about two weeks. And then suddenly they'll start noting this really prominent fatigue and anxiety that they just don't know how to control. And it's not triggered by your environment. It's something going on internally in your body. So I think it's validating women's experiences through identifying and saying, yes, this is a sign of perimenopause and it's okay. What can you do to alleviate those symptoms if you don't want to take medication such as antidepressants or hormone replacement therapies, a lot of the lifestyle factors are very, very potent at helping you reduce the symptoms of perimenopause. And I start with stress. It's because majority of women in their 40s will start from their day in the morning from the drop-off, running on caffeine the whole day, skipping meals. So in our 20s, we could start our morning with a coffee cross on, skip meals the whole day and we'll be fine. Yes. But now you'll find that actually you're starting to get a bit hangry, as they call it. So you're starting to feel a bit irritable, anxiety. So you can see how now your hormones are changing, causing you anxiety, fatigue, but then we don't help it by our modern lifestyles, such as chronic stress, and then skipping meals or drinking caffeine to sustain our energy. So we're kind of self-sabotaging our own perimenopause journey because we're so unaware of the symptoms. Yes, absolutely. And that's exactly the theme that I really noted in writing my book, that from such an early age, we're conditioned to sort of grin and bear it when it comes to anything, you know, gynecological health and girls are embarrassed about their periods and not supported enough. And and that can happen every month that we're sort of dealing with all that. And then it's not surprising, unfortunately, that we enter perimenopause and we're dismissing many of our symptoms and we're still running as we did as a 25, as a 30-year-old, you know, and At the same time that I was going through all of those symptoms and having so much challenge with my mental health, it was actually the best wake-up call I have ever had in my life because it shone a light on all the places that I was not taking care of myself. And I always say this, that I've never been healthier mentally as well because I learned that I couldn't be the bottom of the list anymore. Everything that I understood for myself around perimenopause and knowing the importance of taking care of myself and what it meant sort of future proofing as well and a bit of a wake up call there and beginning to actually take my health seriously for the first time. What do you feel or know are some of the biggest risk factors? Is it heart? Is it bone density? What are we looking at for the long term impacts So it's an interesting point you're making because I was just about to say, why does menopause matter? Because if you look at a life expectancy of an average woman in Australia is 85 years. Menopause, say, happens around 50. So you've got about 30 to 40 years post-menopause. And that's an important time to focus on because we know that's when women start developing chronic disease such as osteoporosis, heart disease and Alzheimer's, along with diabetes and other conditions. The main cause of death for women in Australia is Alzheimer's dementia followed by heart disease. And a main cause of disability is from an osteoporotic hip fracture. Yeah. 
So we know that there's a role of estrogen in protection from these three illnesses, but we at the moment wouldn't treat it with any form of hormone therapy other than that for maybe for the bone protection. We don't have enough evidence to say, okay, if we gave women estrogen, that would protect against heart disease long-term and against Alzheimer's. There are some studies that say it will. There are some studies showing that if you took estrogen long-term, the risk of death from heart disease is reduced by 50%, but we just don't have a general consensus and large enough data to recommend it for long-term use. But we do know that lifestyle factors such as stress reduction, improving sleep quality, eating a balanced Mediterranean diet, social connection and daily movement is really essential for prevention of Alzheimer's heart disease and maintaining healthy bones. So it comes back to those principles of self-care, which we probably do really well in our 20s and 30s, but then maybe life gets busy doing things and we forget. And I think, Alison, I think the reason is we've been told how to look after ourselves maybe in our 20s and 30s and there's a lot of awareness about to going through puberty and we need to show compassion. In pregnancy, we show compassion. You know, we get stretch marks, we get a big belly and we never say to people, oh my God, look, you've got a, you know, you're gaining weight and you've got stretch marks. We're so kind to ourselves and in society, but we don't extend that compassion in menopause and perimenopause. We have a lot more judgment around the way women look and the way they feel. And I think that's partly because people in society and women themselves don't really know what the changes they're going through. I think by having these conversations that we're having today, we're raising awareness. This is a vulnerable time from 40 to 50 in a woman's life where we need to be nourishing emotionally, physically, in our relationships, at the workplace, in communities, to make sure women are supported. Because at the moment, I think women are transitioning through this phase alone and whenever you go through anything in isolation that's when there's a lot of shame around it and stigma because no one wants to talk to another woman because I think oh everyone seems to be doing fine but actually everyone is struggling in silence. I couldn't agree with you more Fatima on that and as we've seen so much historically around menopause perimenopause there has been you know, a taboo around it, a taboo about speaking about it, this secrecy, you know, women talk about it in hushed tones. (laughs) And yet, as I've gone out and about and started talking about my own menopause, as soon as I started talking about it, everyone wanted to talk about it. It's something that lives within us if you're of a woman of a certain age. And we actually do want to discuss it. We do want to get it out there. We do want to share our stories because that feeling of loneliness that I felt deeply was part of my mental health challenge, that I didn't feel like anyone understood me. And the more I talked about it, the more I realized I was relating to hundreds of women and those women felt less alone when they talked to me about it. So I feel like the work that you're doing is so incredibly important as well because you're normalizing everything and you've specifically got a menopause clinic, which is what we need more of. So I did my training in the UK where we have the public system has menopause clinics, which is funded by the government. In Melbourne, we've got a clinic at the Royal Women's, but it's mainly for it's menopause after cancer, essentially. But we don't have dedicated menopause clinics in the public system or essentially in the private system because... They generally are a side clinic as part of a gynae clinic. 
I think over the last few years, we're seeing more and more pop up because there's been a lot of awareness and they're realizing, hang on, we can have a dedicated service because that allows women to then go and get specialist advice. Circling back to mental health again, women who have dealt with postnatal depression, is that sometimes going to be a bit of a red flag going into perimenopause that there might be a higher chance of depression again when they're dealing with their hormones or is that not connected at all? There's actually a questionnaire that you can ask your GP to give you. So we now have identified that hormone fluctuations and there are more hormone-sensitive mental health conditions. So postnatally, antenatally, similarly in perimenopause and menopause, the depression that women experience is due to the hormone fluctuations, the decline of it. And some women are more sensitive to others. And some of these women don't respond very well to conventional antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. And we see that all the time in perimenopause and menopause because they might get an initial benefit, but they'll come back and say, I still have ongoing mental health symptoms. And that's because the hormones are not being replaced or not being managed. And that tells us that we know there's a role of estrogen and our other reproductive hormones in our mental health. And we know from studies that estrogen is directly linked to neurotransmitted in our brain, such as serotonin, so that's a happy hormone. It's also linked to dopamine, which is a reward hormone. So those are the hormones that tell us, okay, great, I'm going to go out for a walk because that's going to make me feel great. But you can see why we suffer from low motivation and low mood in the perimenopause because those neurotransmitters start to decline. So you'll get women, I've always exercised and I've always been really energetic. and I've never had anxiety and all of a sudden this woman doesn't want to go out to exercise, doesn't want to really mingle and not meeting her friends for coffee. Those are all signs that the mental health symptoms due to the estrogen specifically. I know that we had talked about the need to future-proof ourselves, particularly when it comes to heart disease and bone density. It's been alarming uh, uh, learning about women presenting with heart disease. Can you talk me through why you think that is and why are we more prone to heart disease as we go through menopause and post-menopause? If you look at studies, heart disease in women is less compared to an age-equivalent man before the menopause because oestrogen is very protective. We've got oestrogen receptors in our blood vessels. It keeps it very bouncy, very elastic, so our blood pressure remains low. It kind of keeps the heart much more kind of well-oiled, if you want to call it. We know that when women transition through the menopause and post-menopause, the heart disease rates in women actually increase and sometimes surpass that of men. And whenever we see those differences, part of it's related to the estrogen, because estrogen is what we call cardioprotective, so it okay. protects the heart. Yeah. And you might notice suddenly during the transition, you might start noticing you're getting blood pressure and your cholesterol's going up and your diabetic markers are going up. When the estrogen is declining, the arteries can stiffen up, so it causes your blood pressure to go up. Cholesterol is a raw material for the production of generally our sex hormones. So when estrogen is declining, that can start going up. But also, we know you become less insulin sensitive. So you can start noticing without changing your diet, without changing your exercise, you're getting weight around the belly, which can be quite distressing for a lot of women because they're exercising more, eating less. Yes. But that's actually a physiological response to the estrogen declining because 
our fat cells are a source of estrogen production. So one of the theories is that it's because of that, but also we know that your insulin becomes more insensitive. So when you eat a meal, your insulin's not going to metabolize the food as effectively and you start to deposit more weight around the belly. And going on HRT, is that going to help us with our belly fat and with our heart health and with our osteoporosis, particularly future-proofing? So the current indication for hormone therapy are that of menopause symptoms. It's not indicating indicated for weight loss or heart disease prevention or Alzheimer's prevention, but we know it prevents against osteoporosis. However, not alone. So with all of these things, even with the symptoms of menopause, will not be fully controlled by hormone therapy unless you start focusing on daily movement, resistance training, looking at your food, looking at your stress, looking at your sleep. Because we know stress releases cortisol, food creates insulin imbalances, and those two hormones are your master hormones. And so they directly communicate with your ovary and impact your sex hormones, so your estrogen, testosterone, progesterone. Just going back to the insomnia and fatigue, which can be chronic in perimenopause, how do we support ourselves with those two symptoms? I think you've got to look at the root cause of it. So if we take sleep first, we know when estrogen is declining, you can start getting night sweats and the body temperature changes. So that itself can impair sleep. But also just without even having night sweats, just a decline in your estrogen can cause some insomnia. On top of that, if you've got a really stressful day. We know that suppresses your melatonin, cortisol suppresses melatonin, and so on. Then you're not going to sleep really well. It's all multifactorial. So it's about finding what it is. So if you're not getting the hot sweats at night and your periods are all normal, but you've had a really stressful day, then you need to work on active relaxation. Would that be a magnesium bath? Might be some mindfulness for some women. Trying to avoid blue light is really important. So 90 minutes of no blue light. So no Instagram scrolling because all of these will interfere with your melatonin and your sleep hygiene. So it's about having that good sleep hygiene, ticking all the boxes. And then sometimes if you're doing all of those things and you're still getting sleep disturbance, that then is your estrogen. So some women will find they're they're sleeping better when their hormones are treated with some hormone therapy. But a lot of the women will find doing the lifestyle things around sleep hygiene, but also a bit of cognitive behavioural therapy. And we've talked about the power of the mind. And when we try and relax that mind, stimulate the parasympathetic drive, we then relax and we fall asleep. I put sleep as my number one go-to symptom helper. (laughs) Because if I was tired, everything seemed to ramp up 100%. You can see how if you're not sleeping really well and you're disrupted for any of those reasons we've talked about, then you're tired during the day. So then that leads to chronic fatigue. So you've got to identify then what is the cause of your fatigue. So if it's not sleep, it's very common in the perimenopause that you might be getting really heavy periods or flooding or lots of clots. And a lot of women will just put up with this. But one of the things you can get is very low iron and become anemic. And if that's the case, some women can feel breathless, so they can't even exercise or go upstairs. But also you will just have no energy to do the things you needed to do. The other cause of fatigue, if it's not sleep and heavy bleeding, 
is your blood sugar level. So if you're someone who's having really prolonged periods without eating, but you you have a really hectic, busy day, and I see this a lot because a lot of women now are doing intermittent fasting, it does work for some women, but normally in the perimenopause, it has detrimental effect. It kind of backfires on you because what you're doing is you're having prolonged daytime periods with no food, but then you're working full time and you need that brain energy and physical energy. And then you're having a hypoglycemic episode where your sugar level's dropping and then you want to consume more caffeine. So there goes up your cortisol and then you're getting these dips up and down because you're not nourishing your body and our body needs nourishing. So looking at food as a source of nourishing for good energy levels is really important. There's a few common things that we've discussed that could be causing your fatigue, but it's just going back and doing kind of an audit and saying, why am I feeling fatigued? What are my sleep things rather than just giving you a sleeping tablet and having, uh, you know, a sports energy drink or caffeine after caffeine? You mentioned flooding and I wanted to just talk a little bit about that because I know that that can be not only physically challenging, it's emotionally challenging as well. Can you explore that a little bit more with us? So normally in a menstrual cycle, we will have estrogen and progesterone. And progesterone is produced at ovulation. Once you ovulate, you produce progesterone. And the role of progesterone is to thicken the lining so then the egg and the sperm meet together and then you can implant the embryo. So it's a nice cushion pad. In the perimenopause, the aim is we're not trying to get pregnant. The egg quality is reduced and our levels of progesterone generally start declining. So one of the early signs of the perimenopause is heavy menstrual bleeding because we kind of expect that the progesterone drops first before estrogen. And the management of menorrhagia, which is the medical terminology for heavy menstrual bleeding, you've got to identify what the cause is. So it could be hormone-based only where the progesterone is declining. could be a host of other things such as adenomyosis, endometriosis, fibroids, polyps. There's a host of gynecological things. So it's important you have a gynecological scan to identify that cause. Heavy menstrual bleeding over 40 should not be ignored or missed. There is a small um, risk of getting womb cancer or endometrial cancer. So don't just say, oh, I'm perimenopause, I'm going to ignore this. You've got to go have a host of blood tests. Sometimes hypothyroidism can present like that as well. So normally your doctor will investigate that and that should be investigated and treated. In terms of the emotional impact, it's actually, there's a huge psychological impact that women experience. And typically, women will tell you they'll be sitting in a board meeting and suddenly they feel almost like their waters are broken. And in some women, they wouldn't even have a tampon or a pad because they can suddenly start. Because the whole point of perimenopause is you might not have anything for three months and suddenly you get a whoosh of flood coming through. Yeah. And, and this goes on for years. And there's lots we can do to treat it. And the treatments normally are finding the cause, treating the cause. We can either give you medications just around when you menstruate to stop the blood flow. Then you have other things such as the marina coil, which is very commonly used for heavy menstrual bleeding, which actually has a progestogen called levonorgestrel. So the treatment of heavy menstrual bleeding is essentially progestogen. And the marina is very effective at reducing blood flow. However, you should consult with your GP as to the best suited treatment for your condition. So I think it's so important when we look at a woman transitioning through this phase, we don't just focus on the reproductive organs and just about, oh, let's manage your menopause symptoms. It's looking at 
what else is going on in the body and managing the cortisol and the insulin, which essentially comes from your food, your exercise and stress and sleep. So if you manage those with the lifestyle factors, you might find a lot of women don't even get the weight gain around the tummy. You don't always need estrogen. There'll always be a cohort of women who need it. We know 30% of women have debilitating symptoms which really impact functioning and the quality of life. And for them, estrogen therapy is life-changing. And I see a lot of what I call menopause hormone or hormone therapy shaming because the women who take it feel really guilty Mm. that they haven't been able to navigate it naturally. And then you've got this other kind of polarized group of saying, oh, I'm going to do it all natural, but then continue to suffer in silence. And I know something that really helped me was when I began talking about perimenopause and menopause and the experience that I was going through with other women and creating that tribe around me that really helped not only with comparing notes, but particularly reducing my stress. And it can be such a stressful time. It doesn't always have to be, but you do feel very vulnerable around that time. And we really want women to be their own advocates because everyone has their own journey. Just as you were saying, whatever way you choose to deal with your perimenopause and menopause, HRT, natural, It's their own journey and each woman should be supported in however they're going to deal with it in the best possible way. I couldn't agree more. And this is why when someone comes to see me and even my education platform on social media is all about these are the options you choose and maybe you go through each one of the categories. That's fine. But that journey is a long journey. Don't go through it alone. There's lots of support around you through your doctor, through your girlfriends, and also through really educating yourself. But I want to actually move on to mindset. And that's really important because the trouble has been with menopause is that it's been a dirty word and we've not spoken about it because it's been, oh, when you when you hit menopause, certain derogatory terms have been used that you're off the shelf. Yeah. Women have literally have been told to just be silent and they, and they disappear. They become invisible because they haven't been supported on this journey. And I think it's so great that we're having this open conversation. It's crucial to discuss that mindset transitioning through this phase is very important to recalibrate because if you're coming from a cultural background or in society where menopause was a dirty word and you became irrelevant, those are the self-belief and the narrative you're going to carry in this transition. Yes. I'm old. Oh, I'm irrelevant. I don't think I can achieve my ambition. No one likes me. And this story that we're telling ourselves has a negative impact. And we know through cognitive behavioral therapy, when we change our thoughts around our menopause experience, we can reduce the symptoms of menopause just from having cognitive behavioral therapy. Our thoughts about our experience determine our experience. Yes, I love that. Yes. It's so important to read information and surround yourself with women saying, you know what, this is difficult, but guess what? I've done far more difficult things in my life. Perimenopause is a fantastic opportunity. I always say it's a great opportunity with the right mindset where you really find what is it that you want to do. Because we in our 20s and 30s and 40s, there's kind of this social subconscious conditioning on what we should be doing. Go to school, have a partner, get pregnant, have a baby, and then we hit perimenopause and there's no manual. So you need to sit down and write your own manual on how you're going to live this phase. Is it going to be 
more self-care, focusing on better foods, better social connection, being more your authentic self. And I think if you look at it that way, it's actually quite an exciting time because it's all about me. <laughs> yeah, and we deserve it. <laughs> and we deserve it because it's when we're younger, I think it's we generally have a different outlook. We're looking in the future, but we're kind of conditioned to just look after everyone else and kind of forget ourselves and our own identity because we become either wives, partners, mothers, and before that we're daughters and then we're work colleagues, but we forget who am I? Who's Fatima? Who's Alison? Yeah. And what is it that, what are my needs? And we conventionally have sacrificed those yeah. to fulfill these roles of whatever you've adopted along the way, motherhood, sisterhood, and and all the ones we've discussed. So just think of it as you need to get lost to find your true self. I think the best thing that we've talked about today is our mindset. I think that if we can get our mindset into a place where, and I know this can be challenging and I, I get it because I went through it, though being able to look at this time as, as we said, a time for change and a change for the better and particularly talk to other women who are post-menopause because then you really get the full picture as well of women who are enjoying the heck out of themselves and they've they've run the riot they've done it all they've they've you know gone through all the symptoms and the changes and they are so happy and they're living life to the fullest so i think with our with a change in our attitude towards it i think that is a huge leap in in being able to navigate this time the best that we can I couldn't agree more. And actually, postmenopause is this sense of freedom from menstruation, contraception, and the hormones fluctuating every month. It's yes. just you feel great. Your energy levels are better. You're motivated. So I think it's something to look forward to. And also, you've got another 40 years to do whatever it is that you want to do. So mindset is probably the most important thing. Fatima, thank you so much for your time. You're always such a wealth of knowledge and it's been so, so wonderful talking to you. I'm so happy to hear everything that you're able to share with us. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me and it's been such a pleasure. Bye now. That's it for this episode of Menopause Matters. In the next episode, I'll be chatting with Dr. Elizabeth Farrell a gynecologist and medical director of Jean Hales for Women's Health, about getting help for your menopause symptoms and finding solutions that work for you. HCF believes in being a trusted health partner for members, delivering practical tips and real-life stories to help take charge of your health and well-being. For more helpful information about menopause and all things women's health, head to hcf.com au forward slash women's dash health. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Menopause Matters. It helps more women get access to great menopause insights. I'm Alison Bray-Daddo. Thanks so much for listening. If you're struggling and want to speak to someone now, call Lifeline on 13 11 14.